Marie! Chris! How you doing? Uh, I am doing well. The family got a new puppy. It did. So if you hear, like, total chaos somewhere in the proximity, uh, that's because the house is being destroyed. I'm so happy Except about the puppy! The I'm puppy so happy about the destroying everything around us! Hooray! It's so damn cute, man. Oh. oh, it's like a small Sherman tank with teeth. That just, so it's cute. just mowing anything. Anyways. Anyways. Awesome. Uh, so, dear listeners, uh, one interesting bit of trivia before we jump on here, not really trivia, but like show info, I guess now, is I have started streaming on Twitch. So if you want to see me play the video what? games that I always am talking about on the show or mentioning in interviews and stuff, um, come check it out. Twitch.tv slash Mad Scientist Cogs. It's a lot of fun. Currently playing Zelda Ocarina of Time Randomizers. Getting a PC here pretty soon, and I'll be playing Dark Souls randomizers then, which would be a lot of fun and uh, should be, I'm sure, a huge, tremendous challenge. So if you ever wanted to see me in pain, go check us out on Twitch. Yeah, so you'll be paying, playing something like Dungeons, Dungeons, and more Dungeons? Is that Beast, it? Essentially, yes, Murray. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh yeah, so good. <laughs> Last episode, we discussed how we came to understand the physics of time. How it was instrumental to our development of mathematical descriptions of physical systems and just how odd it is as a concept. And we ended on an interesting development. When we began to dig into physical systems, we started finding that there are some things that appear to be constants. Mm-hmm. Right. Things things that seem to keep showing up. And so last episode, we talked about the acceleration of gravity on Earth, how regardless of the object size, um, it's shape, really, all these other things, if you can control for those, the acceleration of gravity is always constant. And so that made us start to think about, well, are there other constants out there? Right. So this idea that there's a, a reality or a physical kind of web behind everything we see and experience, right? There's some kind of plan that a god or creator put in place that becomes pretty instrumental to the world of the sciences. And so we start finding constants, we keep finding constants, and we think that, well, everything has to make sense to the way that it works on smaller systems. Because that's another thing that we talked about was the fact that the acceleration of gravity doesn't really care how big or small or, or what size the object or system is, right? So the system itself um, seems immaterial. So we just assumed that the laws of the laws of science, the laws of physics – and motion must be true regardless of where you are, right? They're they universal laws. They don't care, they right? don't care. Yeah. And so over time, this view leads us to find a number of other physical constants. We find things like, uh, we find things like the number E or pi, or I mean, we already kind of knew about pi, but, you know, we find these constants that seem to exist out there that keep coming up in our equations, but none of these are as important or will have as huge an impact as the speed of light. That the speed of light is constant and what this means for our understanding of time itself is really the linchpin of time travel theories. And so we can't do a series on time travel without also talking about basically the entire development of theoretical and experimental physics over the last like, you know, 
entire period of human endeavors. Yeah, people. So it's, buckle in. It's really, Woo! it's a really crazy. We're rage. No, it's, it's good. It's all really interesting stuff, though. Right. So yes. this episode, we're going to talk about one side of that coin on the development, the development of um, or the beginnings of our understanding that light might be constantly traveling at a speed. There might be a speed limit to how fast light can travel and how weird that is and why that's weird. So we're going to talk this episode about the development of that idea. We're jumping ahead. We're time traveling ahead, which is obviously the easiest way to do time travel. We're time traveling ahead like hundreds and hundreds of years from Newton. Skipping it to basically to, to let, let's go to let's go to basically today, right? We're going to talk about today here, right? I like okay. to think we're it's we're like uh, okay. what was that show with the the kid and the professor dog who were like traveling <gasps> oh, through time all the time? Oh, oh uh, Sherman and his or his, and his boy uh, prof- uh, and his boy Sherman. Oh God, I can't remember Professor Dog or something. Yeah, whatever. Anyways. Professor Dog. That's what's going on here, Marie. It's a good thing you got a PhD because your your uh, your pop culture references are a little shabby. Not not a conversationalist. Uh, (laughs) All right. So uh, Peabody. It was Peabody. Doctor Peabody or Professor Peabody and his boy Sherman. Right. Hollow. Thank you. So this is like Professor Coswell. Google it. Professor Coswell. It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. Cohort. Marie. Yeah, that's what we're doing golly, right now, Miss Golly, Dr. Cogswell. <laughs> Those pyramids sure are tall. Okay, keep going. Aliens didn't build them, and people who say they did are dumb. All well, right. Marie. <laughs> so at this point, we've developed a method to understand physical systems and describe them mathematically. Right? We, we've come to that point now. So after that, after the ability to describe these things mathematically, we start applying them to everything. We just start applying math to everything you can think of. Right. We apply it to the flow of water, reactions of chemicals, movement of the planets, uh, the way people move and act, economies, aging. We just we apply it to everything. We apply math all over the place because we're a bunch of nerds. <laughs> and it's normally right. It is. I, usually I mean, right. it's usually pretty much spot on when you actually apply it. Now, interestingly, though, in all these physical systems where math is applied correctly or let's not get. Math can be applied incorrectly, too. But in all of these systems, one thing seems to be kind of consistent, especially when it comes to physics. And that is that the reference frame is immaterial. Okay, it doesn't matter what reference frame you are behaving in or measuring things in. Okay, now what do I mean by that? Let's say you drop a ball from a height of a meter. Mm -hmm. We learned last episode you can, because you know the acceleration of gravity is constant, you can calculate the speed of the ball at any moment as it falls, right? You can know how long is it going to take for it to hit the ground, um, how fast can it possibly go. You're going to know, like, all kinds of stuff, right? Yes. All right. Now, imagine you do the same thing, but you're on a train that's moving at a constant 60 miles per hour down a straight track. Mm-hmm. Does anything about our ball system change? Well, not if it's immaterial. 
Okay. Not if it's immaterial. Have you ever done this test, Marie? Have you ever tried this? Like, have have you ever ever tried, have I ever been on a train and then dropped a ball? Okay. Well, not like on a train, but like, have you, you've been on a train, you've been on an airplane. I've been on on a train. I've been on an airplane. Yeah. Okay. When you, when traveled, yes. When you're on the, when you're on the airplane, Mm -hmm. if something drops on the airplane, that object doesn't, besides just falling to the ground, it doesn't also fly to the back of the airplane airplane. at 300 (laughs) miles per hour, right? That would be awesome if it did, but no. No, it doesn't. But no. And, and actually, that's what people thought would happen on airplanes. <laughs> they oh, thought seriously? That, yeah, they thought that they thought that because I guess they didn't understand physics. They thought that people would uh, it would be dangerous because people on the airplane might like you know you take a step and your gravity gets messed up or something, so you get <laughs> shot to the back of the plane and die. Um. So okay. you just have to shuffle along everywhere and not not raise not not. You just need to connect. hold on for dear life. <laughs> All right. So only if you're flying frontier. I'm joking. Only if you're flying frontier. So it turns okay. So it what turns out. It turns out if you do this experiment, it doesn't matter how fast the system is moving. Really, um, at least on Earth terms, let's say the ball. If you drop it, will not. If you drop it from the same height and it's the same ball, it doesn't really take longer to fall. The acceleration of gravity doesn't change, right? Really, um, depending on how high you get, it can because of the way gravity works. But we'll get into that in a moment. Um, but there's no other forces happening on the ball, right? There's no other. We talked about how gravity is a force, mm-hmm. and we're going to get into that a little bit more here in a, in a moment. But if the only force on the ball is gravity pushing it down, then nothing else changes about the system it's in. And it's moving at a constant velocity, just like you are, right? You're both moving at 60 miles per hour on the train track. And so long as the train track is straight, so there's no other forces added, um, you might as well be standing on flat ground. Mm -hmm. So if you drop it outside the train, let's say you open the window and then you drop it. Then, right. If you drop it outside the train, then the ball is no longer after you drop it. The ball Mm -hmm. is actually, interestingly enough, the ball is still – oh, that's a really good question, Marie. Yeah, what? Holla. That's right. I strapped in for this episode, people. I'm bringing it. Actually, I just made that question up. I have no idea, you know, <laughs> no planning. But what it wouldn't be it, – it, you're outside of the force, right? You're out, it's not, it's, It becomes material because – What's surrounding you is not moving at 60 miles an hour. No, it's, because it's not it's not the thing itself. The ball is literally like you're holding the ball before it drops. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're literally holding the ball at 60 miles per hour. Right. Like I'm the holding bo- the ball at 60 miles an hour and then I let it go. Right. So, so what, what happens? So what would happen is the ball would drop to the ground right. at the same rate, but it would it would retain some of its speed, I believe. But I'm speeding away, right? So it to me it would look like it's falling on a curve, right? Like it's mm-hmm. falling faster, but it would be falling at the same at the same speed, at the same constant speed. So okay, I think it I, so okay. Uh-oh. What happens? I just, I just derailed the train. <sighs> no, because okay, no no no. What happens essentially? Mm-hmm. So this is exactly what we're getting into, right? This is exactly the point we're talking about. So um, what you're describing or what you're pointing out, Marie, is the is what's known as an inertial frame of reference. Oh, sweet! All right, I didn't even know that one. So, if you are on the train and you mm-hmm. see the ball getting dropped, mm-hmm. right, and you're going at sixty miles per hour, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're dropping it like outside the train or inside the train. Mm-hmm. You would see the ball as falling straight down. Because you're both moving at 60 miles per hour. Right. But somebody on the ground looking at the train passing by, uh-huh. if you drop the ball to them in their frame of reference, uh-huh. the ball would be traveling down, but also at an angle. Right. The same angle that you are traveling at or this, you know, based on the, the speed of the train. Hour, based on exactly. the speed of the train. Yeah. 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 So yeah. although for both people, like reality isn't changing because you're on the train or you're off the train. Right. It's that if if we were to describe the train, the the ball falling on the train from the grounds perspective, it would always behave that way. Right. Because it would also have this 60 miles per hour to, to account for. But mathematically, if we take into account that, well, everything's moving at 60 miles per hour. So if we just assume a constant 60 miles per hour velocity to our system, our frame of reference, then mm-hmm. it will fall like it's at a zero meters per second velocity or whatever it is. But it's the perception that it's right. moving faster. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So another weird system here, Marie. Uh-huh. Think about the case where the, the train is stopping right okay. as we drop the ball. Oh, well, wouldn't it? That's, yeah. It would still, because if it's in the train, it would still drop at the same constant. So if we're just, right. yeah. So if, if we're just looking at the ball itself, Right. The ball itself would appear to fall straight down. Yes. Right. Yes. From that initial 60 mile per hour frame of reference. Right. But if the train is stopping, what will appear to happen is as the ball falls, it will start to move faster than the train is. Forward, because the ball still has 60 miles per hour velocity. Oh, but the train is decreasing in velocity, so it's uh-huh. slowing down. So the ball is actually going faster. So now you have the ball. Well, the ball's going the same speed it was before, but at the any same point, speed, yeah, it's faster going than faster the train. than the train. train. So the ball actually seems to be going towards the front of the train now. This stuff is so crazy, man. Isn't that weird? It would it's still really take weird. it would still take the same amount of time to fall. Right, as right. It, it did when the train was moving. 60, yeah. yeah, but that's but so it doesn't. There's nothing in it. There's nothing in the equation or time and space that would uh, that would account <clears throat> for the decrease as it's falling. It's, um, it leaves your hand. It leaves your hand. It's sixty, right? Uh-huh. The train is now. The train is slowing down. So it's it's the physical force it was going. Well, there's no. To there's slow no down, long. And there's so, nothing. so there's something important here. There's mm. the reason the ball was moving at sixty miles per hour mm-hmm. was because it was in physical contact. With the train. So in other words. Through me. Through you. I'm in physical contact. Through you. Okay. Exactly. So if you just, if there was a bird, let's like a a weird scenario here. If there was a bird in the train trying to fly forward, Uh right? Uh The bird would not be able to go 60 miles per hour. Right. It would be, so there's, there's, Nothing's touching the bird. The bird couldn't fly 60 miles an hour. It could only go the same speed. It would always go because it's contained by that force. Exactly. 
So it's not it's not about the container. It's not about like, you know, it's not like you're just in a spaceship moving at a thousand miles per hour. And so right. suddenly everything on the spaceship, what, what matters is it's, hour, yeah. it's in physical contact. Right? There has to be there has to be a force balance, essentially, that's happening. So like the the train is you and the train are in contact. Mm-hmm. Right. So your force is hitting the mm-hmm. train's force and there's friction on the train. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what's keeping you kind of static there. Mm-hmm. But what about the bird? Bird's not touching anything. Exactly. The bird's not touching anything. So the bird might as well be out in, in the outside. The You know, okay. the bird With is, okay. you know, the same thing. If the bird's inside the train or outside the train, there's a train coming at the bird at 60 miles per hour. <laughs> right? The bird is fucked. <laughs> right? That bird it's, is flying with, it's flying with the train. Sure. <sighs> oh, my God. That's hysterical. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm okay. with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. This, uh, this tendency... For objects to move um, at the same kind of speed as other things that it's touching, Mm -hmm. right? We call it inertia. It's it's part of inertia. Inertia is really the tendency of objects to stay still or moving if they're already moving or already still. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So this is kind of interesting, right? So what this means is. Regardless, all your science stuff is weird. What this okay, what this seems to suggest is we can normalize any system to be equivalent mathematically to the the case of no, uh, no, you know, no speed, right? So the frame of reference, Uh it appears, doesn't really matter because we can always add, we can always add extra, you know you know, a speed or whatever to account for the frame of reference that we're operating in. Right. So long as the frame of reference has no external forces applied to it. So that's the Mm -hmm. case of the train moving at 60 miles per hour with nothing happening to it. Right. That is called an inertial frame of reference. That is fine. However, in the case of the train stopping, there is an external force happening in that case. Right. Yes. Yes. The external force being the breaking of the train. Right. You're losing speed. Yes. Yeah. So that's a non-inertial frame of reference. So you can still add that in there. You can add math in to make it make sense again. Right. Uh But it's a little bit more complicated than just an inertial frame of reference. But so, okay. Why is this important? It's it's this seems to suggest further that physical laws are true across the universe. So long as you're in an inertial frame of reference. In our train. Yes. Right. So if you're on a spaceship Mm -hmm. going a million miles per hour, Mm -hmm. we expect that inside the spaceship or we expected that inside the spaceship, all that same stuff would happen. If you drop the same ball, that's had a hell of an experience for a ball. If you drop that same ball. It's better traveled than I am. It's really better traveled than I am. (laughs) Yeah. So if you drop that same ball, it would still behave the same way. Yes. And that gets proven again and again and again. Like we keep proving that to ourselves. It's something we basically take for granted today, but it's really, it's actually very strange if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, right. Like I said, this whole thing is weird. It's very strange. So we are over time doing our science. We're learning more about physical systems. We're doing our math, everything else. Things seem totally We're cool. doing math. All right. Yeah. Things. Things seem totally cool Normal until we start thinking about magnetism and electricity. What happens? Okay. 
I was all strapped in. I was all ready for this. And now I'm just like, what? What? So, all right. (laughs) We've already talked a Uh lot about forces, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. What do we actually mean by a force? When we first described forces, Marie, you'll remember Mm -hmm. that we described a force as the ability to accelerate something. Right. Force was intrinsically linked like the force of gravity was intrinsically linked to the acceleration of gravity. Yes. So essentially a force is sort of defined as the ability or rather that thing which causes an object to accelerate towards another object. Yes. So gravity is a smaller mass being accelerated towards a larger mass. Yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. So mathematically, that's really easy to define. It's it's force equals the mass of something times its acceleration. Right. Mm-hmm. And so actually your your weight that you measure on a bathroom scale is actually not mm-hmm. your mass. It's your it's your force of gravity. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, or right? the weight that I don't measure. Right. Same. On the bathroom okay. scale. But but whatever. Marie, For theory's sake. Oh, I got gotcha. you. This but this is really weird. This yes. is really weird because it's, mass. it's how much it's how much gravity is holding you down. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, well, that, that's that's not yeah. weird. But that is I mean, that is weird. That is weird. Um, but I mean, when you think about it, it's not your true weight. It's, no, it's and it's also it's, yeah. it's also weird how much more force of gravity you get from just sitting on your butt during quarantine eating pizzas. But um, <laughs> eating the calzones. Mm. All right. But sorry. What, OK, we just talked about on the train. Mm-hmm. How important it is for a force, like when you apply a force to something, there there seems to have to be contact, right? Yes, of at least be- yeah. between something and another. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. when I'm you're holding apply- the ball, right? My you're feet holding are on the train. Exactly, yeah. you're holding the ball. Your feet are on the train. There has to be contact. Yep, the train is, is on the tracks. Yeah. What is being contacted with gravity? Yeah. Stuff and things. When you're falling through the air out uh-huh. of an airplane towards the ground, uh huh, because gravity is affecting on you, right? right? Gravity is accelerating you towards the planet's surface. Uh huh. What the hell is touching you? Is anything applying a force to you? Uh, that's what I was trying to get at with the ball question. But yes, no, I don't. Or the bird question. If you're, what is? Yes, yeah, something is applying a force. You just can't see it. It's sort of Star Warsy, actually. You don't, don't like make me go down that hole, but yeah. no, no, yeah. you're a hundred percent correct. It is something Star Warsy. Something Star. So, phys- so mm-hmm. physicists and scientists were like, "Well, that can't be true. There has to be something that's mm-hmm. applying the force because there's always something applying the force in every other system. There's been things applying the force. Yeah. So what they came up with was a invisible essentially immaterial substance they call the ether the 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 ether of the universe oh god right Mm -hmm. the luminiferous ether and so this this was the thing through which that was one of your cover bands in college oh you know it this is (laughs) this is the thing through which force is applied at a distance in cases where it doesn't make a lot of sense that there is a force being applied Right. So with gravity, for example, the Uh thing that is allowing the thing that's like making that contact between the objects, the two planets 
is mm-hmm. the ether is the ether. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right, but that's yeah, our best explanation, right. right? It doesn't make how else can you explain it? Yeah, there's got to be some other explanation. That otherwise, sounds like, that sounds way. That sounds just really vague. Otherwise, we end up with basically, you know, spooky action at a distance. Spooky. Right, which to was coin my Einstein's cover phrase. band. Yeah, spooky action is distance. That's sweet. It's, yes. But it is. It, otherwise, yeah. it's just. Otherwise, it's just Star Wars stuff, right? It's like yeah. think uh, in some weird way. Actually, think of the ether almost like the midichlorians. Like they're the <gasps> they're the invisible thing that's I'm mediating sorry. the motion of objects between Ooh, two things. Dear listeners, I just want to take a quick moment to say how far we've come when we started this podcast. My esteemed. Doctor of a host did not have any reference for Star Wars, and now he just dropped one of the most hotly debated uh, subjects in in the in the canon itself, the midichlorians. Nice. Not gonna lie, Baby Yoda Props. did a lot. To, Baby Yoda did a lot to bring me into the fold. Oh, geez, man, All right, I'm you. and we're gonna continue this discussion after our first break. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily. That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. All right. So that's that's really weird. That is weird. Right? That's mm-hmm. weird. So we have objects that seemingly are having forces on each other from far away without actually touching. And so scientists are like, well, there has to be something there. And because they, they don't have a good explanation, they just call it the ether. They call it, you know, whatever it is that's making things touch mm-hmm. or making okay. things affect each other. Okay. Now, there are other forces like that, though, that we can't really uh-huh. we, we don't really have a good explanation for. Right. Can mm-hmm. you think of one, Marie? I can't think. So I, I actually did do a little research on this and there are normally four. Yep. Right. However, there's supposed to be a fifth one as well. But I was going to pop. There out might be a fifth one. There yes. might be a fifth one. So the four are electromagnetic electromagnetism. Uh-huh. Weak. Nuclear force, uh-huh. strong nuclear force. And then, and then people, the fifth is supposed to be uh, discovered by MIT in the 80s, right? And it was called like hypercharge, dubbed hypercharge, yeah, which is like, uh, come on, that's a bitchin' name. Who knows if that's true? But then there's also gravity, right? The fourth the one. Third, yeah, the fourth one is gravity, but it's like hypercharge is supposed to be the anti-gravity. Yeah. All right. It's a super villain name. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no. Interesting. So, but we, okay, we call it electromagnetism now, mm-hmm. but actually when it was first being discussed and looked at, magnetism and electricity were thought to be completely separate. Mm-hmm. So, all right, mm-hmm. we know, we kind of know what electromagnetism looks like, right? It's, it's a little bit easier to think of besides like the weak and strong nuclear forces, let's say, mm-hmm. right? So, so for listeners, the weak and strong nuclear forces basically are the forces that keep atoms together like the nucleus of atoms together mm-hmm. right because the deterioration the, right is because the- atoms because atoms are made up of protons and neutrons so seemingly there's nothing keeping all those protons together right they're all positively charged if anything they should be shooting away from each other 
us. Right. So there has to be a, a force that's keeping them together. Um, and that's like strong and nuclear, strong and weak nuclear forces are like a little bit more nuanced than that. But that's generally the kind of the idea. It has to do with like nuclear energy or, or nuclear radiation and, and decay. Mm-hmm. All right. Electromagnetism, though, is, is a little bit easier to explain. It accelerates objects together. Um, and actually, mathematically, is super similar to gravity. All right. So think about magnets, right? Mm-hmm. You have two magnets, Marie. And if their poles are opposite, what will they do? They'll attract. Yes. Okay. And the closer they get, what happens to that force? The stronger it becomes. Stronger it becomes, right? That's true of gravity, too. Mm-hmm. Right? The closer things get to each other, the more gravitational pull they feel from each other. Yes. Now, interestingly, magnetism has an opposite, though. If you have things that are of the same pole, they'll repel. Yes. Right? The closer they get, the the stronger they repel. Okay. We have nothing like that with gravity, but maybe there is. Maybe there's that hydrostatic or whatever the heck force. Uh Uh-huh. Hypershock. Oh, wait, no, that's not. Hyper, hyperspeed. <laughs> but. Um, sounds like but, a robot. Sounds like a fighting robot. It really does sound like a fighting robot. Robots. Hyperstock. I think there is one. Anyways, go ahead. But still, though, magnetism seems then to have the same kind of problem that gravity has, right? Because there's nothing making those objects attract each other or repel each other, right? Just more voluminous ether. Has to just be more ether. <laughs> yeah. I- Yes. All right. Okay. So we uh-huh. we are going to talk now. So how did electromagnetism develop and how did we get to the point where now it's a problem for our understanding of physics? Um, and, and then eventually we get to time travel. Mm-hmm. We're going to do broad strokes here, people, because we don't have a lot of time. Ha! Actually, it's kind of relative, but we would. No. We have unlimited time. <laughs> All right. So... Um, <laughs> The first, the first of a seventy-two hour. <laughs> like <laughs> seriously, that's how much time we need. We're we're doing basically physics like one hundred and one and two hundred and one. Um, oh. All right, the first understanding of electricity came from static electricity because that's that's like really easy to generate by accident, right? Mm-hmm. So you all know what static electricity is for listeners who aren't, you know, native English speakers. Static electricity basically is like you rub, um, you rub your foot on carpet and then you put your finger up to like a a conductive surface and it shoots a charge. Yes. Right. So it seems like, it seems like from our earliest understanding of electricity that it has to do with friction or it has to do with the motion of objects kind of backwards and forwards on other things. Yes. To build a charge. Yes. It seems like you have to build something, some kind of energy first by motion and then it gets exploded away. Yes. Similarly, our first magnetic, our first understanding of magnetism was in the context of special rocks that seem to attract one another from a distance, almost like magic. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have an iron, uh, an iron uh, ore containing rock, and you have something that's magnetic, and it, it will charge over to each other. They'll they'll repel or they'll attract. Right. Mm-hmm. Which you can imagine how terrifying that discovery was for the first person to find it and be like, I need to explain this to somebody, but not have them think I'm a witch. <laughs> how, how am I going to do this? This is uh, the closest can't. to magic we've gotten so far. Um, and actually, and that person was burnt. 
thankfully, thankfully, uh, some of the first kind of studies of magnetism happened in China. And um, that led to things like the creation of the compass, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. kind of compasses were like what were studied during magnetism for a long, long time. So early tests on magnetic materials and electricity were conducted throughout the Middle Ages and really kind of were were limited to like, you know, okay, well, I can make more and more friction so I can get a bigger and bigger shock or I can purify these magnetic things more and more to get a bigger force between them. Right. And trying to understand how did compasses work and, you know, did the earth seem to be magnetic and all these other weird things. And all that was true until basically the father of electrical science came around, Dr. William Gilbert. And he wrote a book uh, titled Shortened shortened to DeMagnet, basically, in the 16th century. That's D.E. Magnet, not Not like DeMagnet. DeMagnet. He's not not ludicrous. Um, So uh, this. Not that ludicrous couldn't understand and explain science, though. Oh, no. Ludicrous would be. A really good I would actually listen me. to him for 72 hours. Okay. Oh my God. His, no, absolutely. So um, <laughs> in that work, Gilbert does various experiments on magnetism and what he defined as electricity. So he talked about magnetism as being basically the attraction of iron with certain types of rocks. And he called electricity a magnetism that occurred without the presence of iron. Hmm. Okay. So that's what he called. And some of the things that he found, for example, were that heat, um, if you applied heat to a magnetic material, the force of magnetism decreased. And the more kind of friction you applied, the stronger the electrical charge, the stronger um, a compass needle would look at, say, an electrified surface. Hmm. Right. So he, he was one of the first people really to find that electricity and magnetism and also heat. We're seemingly interrelated, right? There's something going on there between the three of them. Right. All right. Because charges, like, you get more shocks in dry climate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So that's another thing, actually, he found was that the presence of water changed the ability to to transfer electricity or magnetism. Right? It's actually a very, really good point, Marie. Um, Oh, oh, you're doing great. So, okay. Um, Later, Dr. Coxwell. (laughs) And again. Dr. Coxwell. And again, in all these cases, there seemed to be nothing mediating these forces, right? There's nothing like there's again, there's no hand between the ball and the train. It's just moving at that speed for some reason. Right. So, um, again, all of this is in the background of there being this this ether out there. Right. Yeah. So other scientists working in the field, Robert Boyle, found that um, there were a bunch of other magnetic or electrically conductive materials Right, so it wasn't just iron. There was all kinds of stuff that could be magnetized. Um, uh, Otto von uh, Gorski uh, found and created essentially an early electrostatic generator, but didn't know what he had created really. But mm-hmm. so basically what that was, was like you had like a, a lever or not a lever, but like a a circular device that was applying friction. And so you'd spin it really quickly and it would create a very fast creation of an electrostatic charge. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Further development to this science by people like Bose, Coulomb, um, led to the development of more complex and successful electrostatic generators. So that by the time that we get to the 1800s and the work of Volta, right, whose name mm-hmm. is 
lend lended to the vault. Yeah. Um, we were really able to transfer and create very, very large voltages of electricity, right? very, very large uh, electrical currents and, and um, forces, right? Yep. So Volta creates the first electric battery in the 1800s. Um, and so over time again, like, and we have other people like Ben Franklin um, really did do electrical experiments, right? Um, a bunch of other people did like there's just the, the history of this is so rich and so long, but really the important, the important shift happens with the work of Faraday and Henry. Mm-hmm. Now these two people found what is known as electromagnetic induction. What this is, is the seemingly ability to convert a magnetic field into an electrical force and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is if you run electricity through a wire, that Mm -hmm. wire becomes magnetic. Mm -hmm. And if you have a magnetic field, you can actually transfer small amounts of electricity through like the air, for example. Yes. Right. So really interesting stuff. The Faraday cage. Right. Yeah. All of these, all of these experiments seem to now really suggest very strongly that electricity and magnetism were one thing. They were the same thing, but it was being converted between magnetism and electricity. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was either one or the other. It wasn't one or the other. They were one unified one, thing. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. No, they were one unified yes. thing. And so it wasn't until uh, this, this ultimately was um, famously and uh, importantly led to the, the work of James Clerk Maxwell, who described the relationship between electricity and magnetism as that unified concept known as electromagnetism. He did so in a series of really complicated equations called the Maxwell equations that mm-hmm. we still use every single day. But um, the basic rules that resulted are the kind of the, the speaking in speaking terms, what those mathematical concepts led us to are these kind of four main things. And this is actually used from thought co, which had a really good write up on Maxwell and his equations. So I thought why try to reinvent the wheel? <laughs> um, so, okay. Go into the 73rd hour. Go ahead. Yeah. First one, um, like electric charges repel and unlike electric charges attract, the force of attraction and repulsion is inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. Okay. That one's pretty easy, right? Yep. Um, two, magnetic poles always exist as north-south pairs. Like poles repel like and attract unlike. Again, pretty easy. Yep. Right. Check. So in the first case, in the first in the first thing, what he said was like electrical charges. Right. So things being positive or things being negatively charged, right, which they found you can do, of course, um, those attract just like magnets do. And magnets as north south pairs have that same kind of dichotomy where like poles just like like charges repel, whereas mm-hmm. unlike poles, like unlike charges, will attract. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. His third thing, an electric current in a wire generates a magnetic field around the wire. 
The direction of the magnetic field, clockwise or counterclockwise, depends on the direction of the current. That's the flow of electricity. This is the right-hand rule, where the direction of the magnetic field follows the fingers of your right hand if your thumb is pointing in the current direction. Okay, this one's a little bit more physics 101 to explain, or like mm -hmm. college-level physics, I guess. But so imagine, Marie, mm -hmm. you have a wire that's going from, you have a wire that's in front of you, and the mm -hmm. current of electricity is traveling from the right-hand side of your body to the left-hand side. Yes. Okay. You, if you put your hand around the wire, not really because you don't want to get electrocuted. <laughs> yes. Again, but, all thought experiments here, people. But if yes. you put your hand around the wire. Uh-huh. If your thumb is pointing in the direction of the current, uh -huh. which it is in this case, if you use your right hand, uh -huh. right? So it's going from the, your thumb is pointing towards your left, right? which is the direction the current is traveling in. Yep. Then the magnetic field that's generated from the wire and the current follows your fingers. So it follows it around and it's pointing to the left though. Exactly. So it uh, follows it. So it's so in this case, then the current around the wire would be in a counterclockwise uh, direction. Right. Because it's following it's following your fingers. Interesting. OK. Yeah. Yes. Yes. OK. <laughs> OK. OK. And then number four, moving a loop of wire toward or away from a, from a magnetic field induces a current in the wire. The direction of the current depends on the direction of the movement. OK. So quick, quick question. Go ahead. Semi-related. So again, when you're talking about the poles and counterclockwise and clockwise, does this, this is what affects the water going down a drain as well. No, 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 what? it doesn't. No. Oh, so close. No, that's but, different, but that's still in the same sort of the, you know, it's really, okay. You are, it's, it's, oh, it's so, it's really, Oh, see what I do. <laughs> and we're on a train and all of a sudden we, we, we switch of, poles. Okay, it's kind of. We switch of, poles and the water starts going counterclockwise. Right. It's what? kind of related. Oh. Sort mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. Not to electricity. But not really. Not to electricity. Uh -huh. But to the force. But to the to force. What? Yes, to the force, to the force. it is related. Right. We're going to get okay. into that next episode more. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. So not totally wrong. What? Not totally wrong, but just not mm. right for this one. All right. All right. Boom. So. Okay. So keep going. Okay. So number three and number four, essentially what those two do. Number three says electricity generates magnetism. And mm -hmm. number four says magnetism generates electricity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you move mm -hmm. a loop of wire towards or away from a magnetic field, you get current in the wire. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, why is this really important? So first off, Maxwell just gave a way to create a electrical generator mm -hmm. in the way that we have them today, right? Because what mm -hmm. did he say? He said, if you move a loop of wire towards a magnetic field or away from it, you end up getting electricity that generates in the wire. Mm -hmm. So if we create a machine that moves a wire quickly into and out of a magnetic field, we can create electrical current. Yes. And so suddenly we can generate electricity in a really easy way. By just doing in a, in, that. In a really efficient just, way. But yes, yes. Right? Yes. So we don't need electrostatic generators that are limited in the amount of, of current or, or you know, we, we don't need any of that other stuff. Now we can generate electricity 
in a really good way. And actually, that's the way we make electricity today. Hmm. Still, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. when you think about mm-hmm. like a coal fire power plant or a, a you know a water plant or whatever, what it's doing is it's moving. They're using you know a chemical reaction to create heat or whatever, but it's making water um, become steam. That then the high pressure of the steam it's moves moving. a turbine, yep. and the turbine is attached basically to one of Maxwell's electrical generators. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. So that's really interesting. Yeah. It's okay. Besides that, besides that, um, besides it being important for like the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. and for everything that came about later and us having computers and all this other stuff. um, It's also really important because these theories suggested a clear break with Newtonian mechanics. Mm. So one thing, one thing we didn't touch on with the ether is that, how quickly does force act on something? Hmm. So in other words, mm-hmm. if you drop the, if you let go of the apple before, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. a Newton, you let go of the apple. Mm-hmm. How right long away. does it take? Well, it start it, to drop. Yeah. How long does it take for it to start to drop? It, it perceived right away. Right so away. It immediately starts to drop. Yeah. Okay. But so that means that it doesn't matter how far away the thing is, it immediately will start to feel gravity. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. But we know that isn't the case, say, for example, with magnets. No, it's not. Right? Oh, it messes because it all up. Because first, first off, you can pull magnets so far apart that they don't attract uh-huh. anymore. Right. So there seems to right. be some distance effect there. Right. But also, Maxwell's work showed that the electromagnetic force did take time to travel. They were actually able to measure how long it took current, say, to go through a wire. Ooh. Right? Huh, uh-huh. And besides that, too, as people besides Maxwell are working on other things, like people are working on electricity, but people are also working on light, mm-hmm. right? Because light is also another weird thing. Like, light mm-hmm. doesn't really have effects. It doesn't have a force, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, what people started to do though, was they thought, well, we, okay. If those forces have a time that it takes for them to move, mm-hmm. how, what, how fast are those moving? Right. How fast is that going on? Mm-hmm. And so what, what Maxwell actually ended up finding and a couple other people too, was that the speed with which electromagnetism moved was limited to a certain value. And weirdly enough, that value of speed turns out to be the same speed that people working on optics found light traveled at. So now we're in a pickle. We're in a real pickle, Marie. We're in a lot of trouble. Cool. All right. Because it turns out now that electromagnetism, this newly discovered force and, and thing in nature, uh-huh. it is defined its speed is defined by the same constant as the speed of speed light. Of light. Oh, that's 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 terrible news for us as physicists. That's <laughs> At least, crazy. That's bad, right? How are you going to bes- tell those things apart? They're almost okay. like the same thing. And besides that, we know that electromagnetism is really, really related or very, very similar to gravity. Oh. So are all of these things the same thing? Oh, man, get out the Advil. All right. 
And that, dear listeners, <laughs> is where we will pick up next episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.